G'day, I'm Al. And I'm Kelly. I'm Xavier, and we're from Albion Park in New South Wales in Australia. And we're on our first ever whale watching cruise off the New South Wales south coast at Jervis Bay. The conservationists say there's been the largest humpback migration in recorded history. And the time is? 11.23 a.m. on Friday, July 21st. Things may have changed since the time this is recorded. But hopefully we'll have seen our first humpback whale ever. Okay, here's the show. Wow. Our timestamps sound so adventurous with an Australian accent. I want to be out there with the whales. <laughs> Me too. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Susan Davis. I cover politics. I'm Ron Elving, editor correspondent. And NPR Shannon Bond joins us today. Hey, Shannon. Hey, guys. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is in the race for president. He is challenging President Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination. He's 69 years old, and he is, of course, a member of one of the most famous political families in our country's history. But this is actually his first foray into politics. He spent decades as an environmental lawyer before eventually becoming best known for his advocacy questioning things like the science and safety of vaccines, among many other views that could be considered conspiracy theories involving the government and other institutions. Shannon, give us a sense of Kennedy's more controversial views and how widespread they are. Yeah, I mean, as you said, he he really has become sort of in the last couple decades the the poster child for for the anti-vax movement, despite multiple scientific studies like debunking any connection between vaccines and autism. That is something he has, he has stuck to. He continues to claim that vaccines cause autism. He's also claimed that chemicals in the water supply may be turning children transgender. He suggested there's a connection between Wi-Fi and cancer, that it causes what he calls leaky brain. You know, he has lots of theories around sort of other diseases and, and relationships to vaccines. He's suggested falsely that the Spanish flu was caused by a vaccine trial. He's suggested that AIDS may not be caused by HIV. I mean, it is really quite the array of just stuff. But he is out there talking about this with this, you know, very famous name. He also gained a particular level of new visibility during the pandemic, especially as questions about vaccine safety were still ongoing because of the pandemic. That's right. The anti-vax movement overall, you know, got a big boost during COVID. You know, it was this novel disease. There was a, kind of a lot of questions, lack of answers. And that's a great opportunity for kind of people to come in with false claims and kind of fill what we call this information gap. And, you know, Kennedy, you know, partially, you know, he's been very involved in this movement. He has a he has an influential group called Children's Health Defense that, you know, works on these issues. And they, you know, re- really came to the forefront. They, you know, were named as one of the top spreaders of misinformation about COVID and vaccines on social media back in 2021. They, you know, earned a ton of money. They, the, the, His group, uh, according to federal tax filings, their, their revenue really increased. I mean, they clearly got to be more visible. He became not just a critic of, of you know, COVID vaccines, you know, aligning with his earlier uh, suspicions about vaccines and concerns about safety, but also, you know, he, he kind of adopted a lot of these wider criticisms of the way the government handled COVID. He was, you know, very opposed to things like vaccine and mask mandates. He was very opposed to lockdowns, you know, shutdowns of schools and businesses. You know, he wrote in a book attacking 
Dr. Anthony Fauci and basically like accusing him of what, call, carrying off, you know, what he called this you know, historic coup d'etat in pushing COVID restrictions. And so you know, he, he gained a lot of prominence. And I would say, you know, also we sort of started to hear an even wider variety of conspiracy theories and, and just you know, suspicions, very anti-establishment suspicions of the government. Ron, he's running for president. He's running as a Democrat. I think it's safe to say he will not be the Democratic nominee in 2024. But he's also polling in double digits. And that does suggest that there is an audience for this candidate and this message. There is certainly an audience for an alternative to President Biden. Uh, We know from an NBC poll that came out in April that 70 percent of the people in the country think Joe Biden shouldn't run again. That doesn't say they're necessarily all going to vote against him, but they just think he shouldn't run again. And the main reason is that he's 80 and another term would take him all the way to 86. So that is a broadly shared view within the Democratic Party and beyond the Democratic Party. And right now there is no notable major serious opponent to Joe Biden in the Democratic Party other than RFK Jr. Uh, There's Marianne Williamson. Some people follow her. But RFK Jr. has by far and away the greater name recognition and is the one who is getting all of the attention. Now, for good reasons and bad, his name puts him up there in the percentage that makes it something worth talking about. However, he has recently uh, been exposed on videotape, he said it was an off-the-record conversation, making remarks that many people found outrageously anti-Semitic, was saying that the vaccine that had been developed, which he says was developed in a, in a, in a lab in China, uh, exempted Ashkenazi Jews and exempted the Chinese, but was aimed at white people and black people. Uh, he, of course, uh, walked back those remarks this week. But I, I believe that as the controversies that have swirled around him, and Shannon has cataloged those very well, I believe that as those controversies come more and more to the fore, his percentage in the polls will probably decline. One of the fascinating dynamics of his campaign, such as it is, is that he's getting a fair amount of media. He was on Capitol Hill just this week testifying. But his interests and his the people he's speaking to tend to be more aligned with the right. You know, he has appeared on things like the Joe Rogan podcast, where I'm sure there are many people who are Democrats who listen to Joe Rogan. But certainly culturally, he is more aligned with the right or independents who lean that way. Uh, You know, he was invited to speak on Capitol Hill about many of his views by House Republicans. These are not typical steps for someone seeking a Democratic nomination. Certainly not. And if you will, I mean, some of his support from some of the high tech titans is probably more tied to his libertarian views about what the government should have to say about what's in social media. And there are people who identify with that. But we should bear in mind that he has been in many respects encouraged to be a factor in the presidential election by the likes of Steve Bannon, uh, the former Breitbart uh, entrepreneur and former strategic advisor to former President Donald Trump, uh, who has broken with Trump in many respects, but on the other hand, still seems to be in touch with him. Roger Stone, another Trump operative with a very long history, uh, has suggested that maybe a unity ticket of Trump and RFK Jr. would be successful in 2024. So that's the kind of uh, realm that we're dealing in here. And and I think, I mean, Sue, you mentioned he was just testifying on Capitol Hill. I mean, it was very much like that, I think, really showed sort of just how much of a sort of surprising embrace 
he's gotten by Republicans and how much, you know, despite some, you know, some of these some of these other views on things, you know, like like the environment, um, you know, he claims to support abortion rights, you know, that are more traditionally aligned with Democrats. I mean, there's a, a lot of ways in which it does feel like he has moved to the right. I mean, he he denies this. He says he's still a Kennedy Democrat. But he's really made common cause, you know, part of out, out of this experience of COVID and the backlash he, he's received during COVID for, you know, a lot of these conspiratorial and anti-vaccine views he spread. You know, he was banned from, from Instagram for a while. They let him back on once he uh, announced his presidential campaign. Um, but that has really kind of brought him into this, this you know, camp of we hear from many Republicans and some disaffected liberals, this idea that, you know, they are being censored, that their views are being censored on social media. You know, they they, they claim that the Biden administration is, you know, working with Facebook and Twitter to shut down their views. And that was basically the entire point of this hearing that he, he came onto this week to talk about how he feels he's been censored. And, you know, there was very much a warm reception from from Republicans, you know, who who see this as an example of government overreach and who were just, you know, generally have been mad for a very long time at, at the social media companies for the policies they put in place. I think it, he will continue to have this broader base of support among these kind of anti-establishment types um, who are very eager to hear this message, you know, criticizing the government and and saying, you know, we really need to overhaul things. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll talk about a surprise hit at the box office. Hey, a quick plug for our latest bonus episode. We're trying out a new trivia game. I have a couple thoughts in my head. Ron, can I have a hint? Yes, your hint is Asia. I feel like that's not the most helpful hint. I agree. That's not the most <laughs> helpful hint. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a couple. I know the name. Just, uh... Check out that episode and find out how you could have a chance to play if you're an NPR Politics Podcast Plus listener. And we're back. And Shannon, it's premiere weekend for Barbie. It's premiere weekend for Oppenheimer. But today we're going to talk about a movie <laughs> called Sound of Freedom. I hadn't heard much about it, but uh, you've done some very interesting reporting about it. So tell us about sort of the origin story of this film. Yeah, so Sound of Freedom is this, it's a Christian thriller that's based on true events. It's about a former federal agent um, who uh, goes out and rescues children from from exploitation and sex trafficking. This film is interesting. It's sort of, if you step back, it, it, it's actually several years old. It was filmed, um, I believe filming was completed back in like 2018. Um, it was originally picked up by Fox, but then Disney bought Fox Studios and the film got shelved. So it's had this sort of long road to actually debuting on screens finally this year. And when it came out, you know, it actually, surprisingly, its first day of release, it earned almost as much money at the box office as the final Indiana Jones movie, wow. um, which I think caught a lot of people by surprise. People hadn't really, I think many in the mainstream had not heard about this film. I mean, I think partially it shows there's this, you know, kind of whole world of conservative media um, that, you know, sometimes I think more mainstream outlets are not paying attention to. But this one has gotten particularly, you know, gotten a lot of t- attention because of this focus on 
this controversial anti-trafficking activist and uh, kind of this broader story that we've seen, you know, many conservatives get very concerned about in recent years around child trafficking, around exploitation of children. You know, this this also kind of dovetails into the issues we've seen around transphobia, concerns about drag queen story hours. But a lot of it kind of traces back to the kind of story this film tells, which is about you know, terrible people in the world exploiting children and then sort of the, the, the story of their heroic rescue. It's important, I think, to note that this was filmed back before the QAnon movement sort of became very much more widespread and well-known. But the interests of people who subscribe to the QAnon conspiracy and this film are now deeply intertwined, in part because of the star of the film, right? That's right. So it's yeah. The, 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 a lot of the reception or the response to this movie has been, you know, there's there's concerns that it's basically it's been described as like quote QAnon adjacent, and like you said, I mean, first of all, it was filmed before QAnon was was a widespread phenomenon, and there's nothing in the film about QAnon specifically. There's nothing in the film about these kind of QAnon claims, but. The star of the film is Jim Caviezel, who people may remember played Jesus Christ in The Passion of the Christ years and years ago, the Mel Gibson film. Um, you know, he's been a long time. He's a conservative. He's a devout Catholic. But in recent years, partially promoting this film, they've been you know after this film was completed, and they've been out there talking about this for years before the film came out, and then you know on the press tour for the film, it turns out he has become a big believer in QAnon. Um, so he is out there talking about some, sort of some of the most wild QAnon claims, um, particularly this this false idea that there is an international cabal of elites that you know kidnap and abuse and kill children to extract a substance called adrenochrome, which is sort of supposed to give them like mystical powers or, you know, eternal life. I mean, again, totally baseless. But Jim Caviezel is out there. You know, he's he's on Steve Bannon's podcast. He's talking to to Charlie Kirk. Um, you know, he's talking to Fox News. And when he's been promoting this film, he's very directly connecting it to these very false QAnon claims. Well, Ron, also where it's fascinating, where it also gets enmeshed with our politics, too, is people like former President Trump have embraced the movie. He's had a screening of it. I mean, not not only do people want to see this film, but people at the most senior levels of the Republican Party are really embracing it and encouraging people to go see it. They are using it. Let us put it that way. To what degree they truly embrace it, to what degree they truly believe everything that Jim Caviezel is promoting, uh, that's another question. I don't mean to suggest that they believe the QAnon conspiracy, but it's all entangled now. Indeed. And that is exactly the point, that it all gets entangled. And in that melange of impressions, what they are communicating, former President Trump and among them, they are communicating a kind of simpatico with a very large portion of their voter base. Many of the people who voted for Donald Trump, who have voted for the Republicans who are the majority party in the House, have a certain affinity for some of these conspiracy theories. They may not believe them. They certainly may not believe all of them, but they see the world largely in terms of us versus them. And the us is the ordinary, regular, American, straight, upright individual. And the them is some kind of murky international conspiracy elite that can take in such conventional corporations as Disney at times and can take in certainly the Democratic Party or the liberal portion of America's electorate. And all of that, you know, is very poorly 
borderlined. We don't have any clear sense of where the lines are drawn, but the affinity is there. And that helps to, if you will, cement or, or make permanent uh, the relationship between those voters and these individual politicians. Shannon, do the film's backers, have they weighed in on any of this? I mean, this film is ultimately based on a true story about a real person. Child sex trafficking is a real problem. But it's been so entangled now with these conspiracy theories. I wonder if they have tried to disentangle it at all. Yeah. So, so the the distributor of the film is this company called Angel Studios, um, and they have they've they've been quite public in rejecting any associations with conspiracies. You know, their executives have given interviews. They they declined an interview with us, but they've you know told other outlets um, you know that there there is no association. If you watch the film, you know there's nothing about QAnon in it, which is true. Tim Ballard, the the former federal agent who this film is based on, he's the character that Jim Caviezel plays. He and his organization, Operation Underground Railroad, which um, is this organization that carries out these missions to rescue exploited children, um, you know, they in the past ha- have you know made statements saying, you know, we we're not affiliated with any conspiracies, you know, we don't we don't traffic in that at all. But Ballard has also kind of danced close to the line in, in some of these ways. You'll probably remember this false story about the furniture retailer Wayfair. There was this idea oh, yeah. going around a few years ago, right, that cl- these, these claims that Wayfair was selling children in the guise of furniture on its website. And, you know, Ballard was in the press at that time sort of talking about, well, you know, children do get sold on the Internet and, you know, it's maybe this is not so crazy. Um, and then more recently, I know he uh, on the film's press tour has also suggested that this this idea that, you know, children are are having their adrenochrome harvested. So, you know, he, he's danced quite close to, to some of this, not maybe not the full embrace we've seen from Caviezel. But, you know, sort of as Ron said, I mean, these kind of ideas do have a lot of traction in right-wing circles. I mean, this idea that, again, child trafficking is a problem, human trafficking is a problem, but this particular focus on sort of ch- child sex trafficking and that there are there is some sort of larger organized movement um, to exploit children. You know, that is something that um, we've seen Ballard and his organization, I think, kind of use to their benefit. Ron, this has not been a particularly feel-good week on the podcast when it comes to the state and health of our democracy. And I'm fascinated, you know, conspiracy theories are not new. They're not new in American politics, but they seem, at least in my lifetime, in this election, to be much more mainstreamed, maybe, than they have in the past. And that doesn't seem like a particularly healthy democracy when that can take hold. It's certainly not a healthy direction for democracy. They are front and center in a way I have not seen in several years of covering politics, several decades of covering politics. It's always been out there on the fringe. There have always been people with dark theories about how Dwight Eisenhower was a communist or Ronald Reagan was a dupe for the Soviet Union, you know, things that were absurd on their face, but which because they were absurd and because they therefore weren't subject to normal rational discourse, uh, took on a life of their own usually in a very small, dark corner of the general electorate. But in our time, and I I would go so far as to say that social media has got to be looked at in this regard, a small corner of the electorate can look much larger to the people who are in it. And when they're talking exclusively to each other, it can come to seem corroborated and real. So that is, I think, given a new life to the whole importance of conspiracy theories And we're all still trying to figure out how to deal with it. 
All right, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, it's time for Can't Let It Go. And we're back. And it's time to end the show like we do every week with Can't Let It Go, the part of the show where we talk about the things from the week that we can't stop talking about, politics or otherwise. I'm going to go first. And my Can't Let It Go involves Mitt Romney and his love of hot dogs. Well, as you all know, today is National Hot Dog Day. And uh, perhaps you also know that hot dog is my favorite meat. I love (laughs) hot dogs. Uh, I love them in buns. I love them outside of buns. I love them with baked beans. I just like hot dogs. It's the best, you know, best meat there is without question. So to all of you who, like me, are celebrating uh, National Hot Dog Day, uh, congratulations to you. And may there be many, many more hot dogs served in our wonderful land. I don't know why hot dog is my favorite meat is so funny, but it is a funny, funny, weird line. (laughs) It's so weird. (laughs) Also, like, I would dispute the idea that, like, I mean, yes, hot dogs are made of meat, but like, I don't know. Someone's like, what's your favorite meat? Like hot dog? Hot dog. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Also in the video, he's wearing a baseball cap that has a hot dog on it. Uh, And I love this because I'm not alone in it. It has been viewed over five million times, this video (laughs) of Mitt Romney's uh, interest in hot dogs. And I just love it. It just made me laugh. It also reminded me a couple years ago, Romney also went a little viral with another food-related video. If I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was his birthday and they had a cake in his uh, office for him and it had all the candles on it. And he individually took out every single candle and blew out each candle so as not to blow all over the cake. It's like more more hygienic. So Mitt Romney, he's got a he's got a lot of food layers that I didn't know about. <laughs> Shannon, what about you? What can't you let go of? Um, mine is also food related, although it is not hot dog. I have been obsessed lately. Uh, it's it's obviously summertime. I live in the Bay Area. We have amazing produce. But my obsession lately is making caprese salad. But oh, instead yeah. of putting tomatoes in, mm. you got to put in stone fruit. Like this peaches? is something like peaches, nectarines, cherries. This is a this is an idea I got from the New York Times cooking. Um, but we've been it's been a big hit in our house. And you like chop up your fruit. Um, you put a little like a little sugar, a little uh, salt. I like best best if you have sort of those big crystal like the big uh, flaky salt. And you like let it sit for a few minutes to kind of let the juices all kind of come together. And then you put on you know you put on your mozzarella and your fresh basil and you like drizzle a little olive oil. And it's just it's like sweet and savory and it's so good. And it's like all I want to eat all summer. I don't want to brag, but my basil looks fantastic right now. I should take a picture and send it to you, Shannon, as I feel like now you are someone who would appreciate how good I'm taking care of my basil this summer. I would totally. But we have we have like deer who come through, so it's real hard for us to grow stuff in our yard. Um, so I'm very jealous of people who can like cultivate and hang on to their plants. Ron Elving, what can't you let go of this week? Well, first of all, I'm certainly taking notes on all of the above. <laughs> I, I have I have uh, only so much time to absorb uh, newspaper news, and uh, I, I don't always have a chance to go through all the sections. But I am getting the impression that there is a really interesting movie that's opening this weekend, and it is a it is apparently called Barbie Heimer, <laughs> and and it has many different parts, many different parts. Many of the parts are are shall we say pink. Uh, there is a great deal of sort of upbeat Ryan Gosling sort of level saccharine sort of I don't, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but I'm just glancing over at this right. I don't really have time to look at it very thoroughly, but apparently, and this was a little known fact. Apparently, at some point in in her career, Barbie was 
tasked with the awesome decision of deciding whether or not to detonate the first atomic bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Physicist Barbie. Ron, which movie are you more excited to see this weekend, Barbie or Oppenheimer, or are you going to see both or neither? I, I think the best the best way to respond to that is to go to the theater where they're showing Barbie and watch the people going to see Barbie and then go to another theater and see Oppenheimer. I, I actually have had something of an obsession with Oppenheimer. Oh, for a I was very long so time. hoping you were going to say Barbie, Ron. I mean, I get, <laughs> it makes sense that you were more obsessed with Oppenheimer, but Barbie would have made my heart sing. No, but there's a wonderful documentary about him that was made many years ago, actually with him in it, uh, in which he talks about the feelings he had at the moment when they detonated the first test bomb out uh, on on the desert. And he wondered if he was going to be in the process of being Ra, the destroyer of worlds. Mm. Well, I did actually see the Barbie movie last night. I'm not going to say a single word because I don't, uh, no spoilers, but I'll be curious to hear your takes on it after you see it. I have faith, Ron, that you're actually going to watch the Barbie movie after all. That's so unfair. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's a wrap for us today. Shannon Bond, as always, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Our executive producer is Mathoni Matori. Our editor is Eric McDaniel. Our producers are Elena Moore and Casey Morell. Thanks to Christian Ev Calamore and Lexi Shapittle. Research and fact-checking by our intern, Lee Walden. I'm Susan Davis. I cover politics. And I'm Ron Elton, editor correspondent. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Sending Shannon a picture of my base all right now.